Okay, friends, the story begins. We are back. We're on the bottom of page 74. Song of the day for Friday for the sixth day of the week. Every single day, there's a new song of the day corresponding to the day of the week, corresponding to what took place beginning of creation on that week. Today's psalm of the day, song of the day, which is on the bottom of 74, is a direct cut and paste from the book of Psalms, chapter 93. Let's read the chapter. It's not very long. And it may be familiar a little bit because we recite it Friday nights. And on Shabbos, it's part of the service. Let's take a look. The Lord is king. He has garbed himself with grandeur. The Lord has robed himself. He has girded himself with strength. He has also established the world firmly that it shall not falter. Your throne stands firm from of old. You have existed forever. The rivers have raised, O Lord, the rivers have raised their voices. The rivers raise their raging waves. More than the sound of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea, is the Lord mighty on high. Your testimonies are most trustworthy. Your house will be replenten, res, resplendent. 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 Okay, excuse my English. In holiness, O Lord, forever resplendent. Okay, and I'm looking at the Hebrew, where the Hebrew word is na'va. It will be pleasant. It will be beautiful. I don't know what resplendent. What is resplendent? Is that a word? Come on. It's no. a word. <laughs> is it? Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> Imagine I started using that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you could see, almost say like it's like garnished in in pleasure, of, in, in holiness. Like, okay, interesting. Interesting. In Hebrew, it's na'va, which means it's it's pleasant. right? Your home, your house is pleasant. Quite relevant to this week's Torah portion. Maybe we'll get into that in a moment. What is this chapter talking about? What is going on here, man? <laughs> What's taking place? The Lord is king. We're talking about God being king. We're talking about the greatness of God. We're talking about his strength. We're talking about how he is stronger than raging waters. The beauty of his home and his pleasantness and his holiness. So the commentary Rashi on Tehillim points out that this is actually a prophecy. And it's referring to the Messianic era. Now, wait a minute. Isn't God always king? What does the Messianic era have to do with God being king? Okay, but right now, we believe that God is king. And we try to live life consistently with that. But in the Messianic era, when Mashiach comes, that is going to be very clear. It's going to be clear that God is king. Right? The Lord is king. He has garbed himself with grandeur. And when Mashiach comes, we're actually going to see this. We're going to see his strength. The next sentence says, He has established the world firmly that it shall not falter. What is the product of realizing the reality of our world, the true reality, that it's really God? That God is the true sovereignty of this world, the true director of this world, the true creator of this world. You know what that comes with? Stability. That is the result of our trust. That's why trusting in God, by the way, even when things are tough, equals stability. Because the most stable of existence, 
the most stable of existences existence I no, the most stable of existences is God. Right? As as the prophets say, God don't change. I mean, th think about it this way. What what is what can be more stable than God? How could a product be more stable than its creator? So if God is the creator of everything, if God is, was, and will be, God always existed and always will exist, nothing else falls under that category. You know, this is an interesting conversation because when we when we have discussions like this, I always come back to the Tanya uh, where we discussed, well, if God is infinite in his capabilities, in whatever, God is infinite, mm -hmm. then... For him not to be able to create something more stable than himself is means he's finite. So, <laughs> right, right. Can God lift a stone that he can? God make a stone that he can't lift, right? Exactly, right. So, so okay. it, whenever we have these discussions, I, I think on that, and 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 then I just you know, it, yeah, it, it, it could take your mind for a bit of a yeah, it's a bit of a mind roller coaster. But let, let me put it this way: let's simplify it. If you're following. If we're not following the train of logic, because God doesn't need to be logical, then okay, so whatever, right? But if theoretically we can assume that God is following a train of logic, that the world works in a logical uh, system, which is the, I mean, that's the assumption of science in general, of any science, then it would be safe to assume that a creator is more stable than its creation. Right. Um, let me let me word it this way. Maimonides opens up his halachic compendium, his compendium of of encyclopedia, his digest of Jewish law. The very beginning starts off with what he describes as the first mitzvah, which is he says not to believe in God. Maimonides maintains that there is no mitzvah to believe in God, which is a whole another discussion for itself, but to know God. Okay, a bit of a tangent here, but I got to share this. I may have shared this with you in the past. The reason why there's no mitzvah to believe in God is because there's only mitzvahs. With, well, it can't be a mitzvah if you don't have a choice. You could choose whether you're putting on tefillin or not, whether you're lighting the Shabbos candles or not, whether you're eating kosher or not. You can't choose whether or not you're believing in God because you have a soul and you're kind of stuck. <laughs> what you can choose is how aware you are of this faith. So Maimonides opens up his compendium describing the mitzvah of knowing God. Not believing God, knowing God. And this mitzvah of knowing God, he says, well, who is this God whom we need to know? Who is God? A bearded man in the sky, right? Throwing lightning bolts, saying that if you do this, you go to hell, and if you do this, you go to hell. Brahman, he says, no, no, no. Here's how he describes God. God is the source of everything, the product of nothing bit of a paraphrase there produces everything but the product of nothing anything that exists comes from him but he is the ultimate existence which means nothing else needs to exist he does necessarily exist again saying the same thing in different words i'm going to share this in a different let me simplify it even further independence god is the epitome of independence what else is independent? What else needs nothing to exist? 
on any level, socially, scientifically, biologically, physiologically, spiritually? What doesn't need anything to exist? What is self-sufficient other than God? Which means, because God is the ultimate of independence, the ultimate producer, God is going to be the ultimate source of stability. There is a great book. Um, I've referenced this recently last night, David, at our course, right? The Gate of Trust. By raise of hands, who's heard of The Gate of Trust? There's a, okay, so there's a series called, I'm, I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but I think this is important. This is worth mentioning and it's related. There's a series called, in Hebrew, Chovot Halavava, Duties of the Heart. It was authored by Rabbi Bechaya, Rabbeinu Bechaya, who was one of the Sephardic sages of the 10th century, give or take a thousand years ago. And he wrote this book called Duties of the Heart, which is an incredibly groundbreaking, important work for its time. Because he realized there's an important problem here. All of the scholarly works on Judaism are describing what to do. But what about under the hood? What about the emotional part of Judaism? Okay, you have Kabbalah, but for those of us who aren't Kabbalists, and he, he kind of explored it from a more philosophical, rational perspective. And he has what's called the gate of love, the gate of unity, the gate of... One of them is the gate of trust, where he describes how to have trust in God. And he opens up describing the benefits of trusting in God. And here's what he says. He says, when you... We always trust in things. That's, I mean, that's, that's human nature. We do things to make ourselves feel secure. We rely on things to make ourselves feel secure. So how secure are we? We're as secure as the thing we are relying on. Right? So if what makes me secure is my financial stability, I'm as secure as my finances, which can easily plunder, God forbid. If what makes me feel secure is my good health that I've been, you know, I've been taking care of myself. I'm as secure as my health, right? There, there is a limited stability there. If I'm feeling secure because of my social network, because of my family, because of whatever it is, right? We're always relying on things to make us secure. And all of these things come and go, unfortunately. But what if what makes me secure is not things, but the provider of things. Not finances, but the provider of financial stability. Not health, but the provider of health, the ultimate provider of health. I don't mean Kaiser. Um, the, I hope I didn't just open a can of worms. <laughs> what if my financial, uh, what if my, my sense of security came not from my social network, but the provider, the ultimate provider of all of this, which is God. So he says, I'm going to be much more secure. And he says, in his, he writes in his introduction that you are as secure as what you put your security in. And if you say to God, I don't need you, God says, I wish you didn't say that. <laughs> Not going to punish you, but I just wish you didn't say that because I want you to be stable. I want you to have me. Um, but if we do put our, 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 our trust in God, we are going to have the ultimate security. The ultimate stability. 
In other words, God equals stability. Simply put, God equals stability. That makes life difficult because God, where are you? <laughs> okay, where is this God? Where can I find him? Okay, so Mike, you referenced the Tanya earlier, and we know through the Tanya where to find God. The Tanya makes it very clear that you don't have to go too far to find God. But the, again, at the end of the day, that, that my soul gets that, but I don't get that. When Mashiach comes, I'm going to get it. We're going to get that. We're going to see it. It's going to be clear. And that's why there's going to be stability. Like the Lord is king. He garbed himself with grandeur. The Lord has robed himself. He girded himself with strength. This is, again, a prophecy referring to the Messianic era, as Rashi says on this chapter of Psalms. And he's established the world firmly that it shall not falter. There's going to be a sense of stability in the world. Right now, the world is on waves, man. This world is rocking. <laughs> this world is rocking. That doesn't mean God's not present, but it doesn't mean the world is not yet experiencing his full presence. And if we wanted to, if we wanted stability, we would need to believe in God, to trust in God. Let's take a look at the next passage over here. Your throne stands firm from of old. Okay, it's a bit poetic here. You've existed forever. Right, that's the stability of God. Who else has existed forever? You could only exist forever um, in both past and future tense if you are not the product of something. If you are the product of something, then you, you can't exist. <laughs> then you've never, then there was a time where you didn't exist, right? Um, God is not the product of anything. He is the ultimate producer. But take a look at this next sentence, the, the third to last line of the of this sentence, of this paragraph. The rivers have raised, O Lord, the, riser, the rivers have raised their voice. The rivers raised their raging waves. Well, that's kind of scary. Little uh, mystical here. What are we talking about, right? More than the sound of the many rivers, than the mighty breakers of the sea is the, mighty, is the Lord mighty and high. So there's these raging rivers that are scary, that are loud. Oh, don't worry. God is loud too. <laughs> God is scarier than the rivers. You'll be okay. Okay, but what are these rivers referring to? So again, if you look in the commentaries on Psalms, on the Tillim, um, you have a few different opinions here. Some say the rivers... Yeah, Mike, what are your thoughts? Um, you might refer to rivers as challenges, obstacles, uh, things that obstruct... Uh, obstruct you from fully connecting with Hashem. So, One so some commentaries do take that route. Some commentaries take the route that rivers are a metaphor for. Um, there, there was a commentary known as the Radak, which is a, a, an acronym. A lot of the commentaries go by their acronyms. Rav David Kimchi. He's a famous commentary not on the Chumash, but on the other parts of the Bible. Um, one of the classic commentaries, and he explains that it's a euphemism or analogy for the war of Gog and Magog, the great war that takes place prior to the, Mes the Messianic era. 
It's these raging rivers, right? Right now we're experiencing raging rivers and they're scary and people are scared. And King David's writing into Hill and don't be scared. God is louder than the rivers. He created those rivers. You're good. You'll be okay. Um, so some say uh, um, that it's referring to enemies. I think, I, but I think you're correct. I think on a personal level, we have our own demons, our own little enemies, even if we're not um, experiencing enemies head on. We have our own internal enemies. We have our own challenges, whether it be social, financial, medical, or whatever it is. It's it's all the same thing. There's something stopping us. There's something animal, that we're intimidated by. What? The animal soul. The animal soul, right? There's something, there's a part of us that feels intimidated. Either intimidated by, well, what are my friends going to think if I embrace this God and I embrace this life of stability and beauty? What are my friends going to think? What are my family going to think? What's my social circle going to think? Um, how is this going to make sense financially? How is this going to make sense on any level? These rivers are scary. They're going to drown me. Um, I mean, we know from the, the Torah portion of Noah, right? What do you do when there's scary water coming? Build a boat, right? There's safety. You got to build a boat. You got to have the safety zone. But these rivers are intimidating. They are scary. And it doesn't say, yeah, well, don't worry about it. <laughs> it says, your God is more strong than those rivers. The Lord is mighty on high. God created those rivers. It, it's an amazing thing. I, I, I mean, look, I, I think I'll be the first to admit it's so much more fun to talk about this than to implement it when push comes to shove at the at the time. But when we're studying it, it's going to be part of our, our, our thinking process. I mean, thinking about this, we'll talk about how this connects to the theme of, of what Friday is all about. We'll get there in a second. I'd like to share with you a different approach, though, that commentaries also share. Some commentaries take the approach that the rivers over here are not a bad thing. We're talking about the Messianic era. We're talking about this time where God is going to be revealed, where there's going to be ultimate stability. And the river is a euphemism for how we're going to experience God. We're going to be flooded with truth. Right? The rivers have raised their voices. The rivers raised their raging raves. The rivers, the truth is just going to hit us in the face. More than the sound of the many waters and the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord mighty high. Right? And even more than what water, how water would cover the surface, is God going to actually cover the, the earth. And this, it, this is very consistent, by the way, with how Isaiah in his prophecies, describes the Messianic era, a time where the world will be full of the knowledge of God as the earth is covered by the sea. So some say it's not actually a negative thing. It's actually a positive thing. I, I want to take you back for a second but, um, to, the, to the beginning of the paragraph. The Lord is king, he's garbed himself with grandeur. One way to look at this is right now we only see the clothing of the king. We don't see him. I mean, that's the nature of exile. The nature of living in exile mode. 
the animal soul mode is we we sent we notice clothing we're superficial it's the first thing we notice about people it's how they look before we get to know who they are and what we experience of god is is really just his clothing but we're going to experience him now your clothing are a part of you um, if somebody wasn't wearing clothing, you'd notice also, right? But you don't, the, the less you notice, the more you connect to somebody, the less you're going to probably notice what they're wearing. Um, you agree with that? Right? The more you know somebody, the better you know them. You, you don't necessarily, I didn't notice what he or she was wearing. I don't know. You're just, you're just you. <laughs> Right? Unless it's something that really that really sticks out. At some point, you forget the clothing and you say, this is, it's not a shirt with a person in it presenting a class. It's just, it's just Josh. It's, it's the same. It's kind of one and the same. So the Kabbalists explain that the clothing are mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are referred to as clothing, as garments. Because you can... Take on garments, you could take them off, you could do mitzvahs, you could not do mitzvahs. The mitzvahs are garments. But who are they garments for? They're garments for God. And although we just see a shirt, there's actually an embody, uh, there's actually an, uh, an um, someone embodying that shirt, right? So what we see is just to fill in Shabbos candles, charity, whatever it is. We see the mitzvah, but there's an actual commander of that mitzvah, there's an actual wearer of that garment which is obviously less clear to us given our uh, limited perception, but we're going to experience that when Mashiach comes. So that's the more Kabbalistic Hasidic approach, and it's very similar to what the commentaries are saying on a different level. Make sense? Yeah, I like that interpretation better, actually. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's funny how you can read a sentence and reread it with different emphasis, different emphasis on words. And it changes the meaning of it. Yeah, it can mean something totally different. Yeah. It can mean something totally different. That's what uh, the, the Pardes is all about, right? Yes, exactly. The multiple levels or, or layers of, of studying the Torah. In other words, right now, let me word it this way. Right now, we experience God as a king. When Mashiach comes, when that king reveals himself, well, we're going to see there's the king is just the position he's occupying, but who is this king? The position of king that he's occupying is a garment, but who is the king? We're going to get to know God. We're going to get to know the king. And by the way, the moment is a bit of a risk here, occupational hazard, because the moment you know a king, he's not your king anymore. Oh, I know him, Nick. <laughs> yeah, you, they say that one of the reasons why Moshe. Commentaries actually ask Moshe, Moses was the redeemer of the Jewish people, but he didn't grow up with the Jewish people. He grew up in Pharaoh's house. How is he the redeemer of the Jewish people? He didn't grow up in Jewish community. He didn't know what it's like to um, push in line at a bris for bagels and locks. I'm kidding, but he didn't know what it's like to, <laughs> he didn't grow up in Jewish infrastructure. He didn't, uh, he never had gefilte fish. He never had this, these things. I'm, I'm kidding, but that's just cultural things. But so one, one of the answers that commentaries offer is that if Moshe grew up together with everybody, they wouldn't be able to take him seriously. 
Like, oh, that's so cute, Moses. Yeah, you think you're taking us out of Egypt. I was at your bris. <laughs> I was at your bar mitzvah. I was at your... <laughs> They're not going to take him seriously. So God uh, orchestrated things where he's not going to have to... He's not going to grow up with the Jewish community. At the moment you know the king, it's... Oh, that's cute. Yeah, we're not... You know, you become friends. It's a different relationship. But we're going to get to truly know God when Mashiach comes. We're going to have that status. We're not just going to see the mitzvahs, the garments. We're going to see the wearer of the garments. We're not going to just, just see as it, God as a king, which is him occupying a position. We're going to get to experience him himself. Which is real kingship. Because real kingship comes with humility. Why is this relevant on the sixth day of creation? What took place on the sixth day of creation? What was created on the sixth day, the final day of creation? Adam and Eve. Human beings. Human beings took place on the sixth day of creation. Up until then, God wasn't a king. Isn't that amazing? This beautiful, vast world. And God is not a king over it. Because he has no subjects that want him, that coronate him, up until the creation of man. And the creation of man is charged with the responsibility of, of accepting God's sovereignty and, and making his kingship relevant in this world. I mean, Adam messed it up the first couple hours, eating a piece of fruit. Messed it up. But the first, the sixth day of creation, the creation of man, is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah takes place that day. Right? The first of Tishrei. Which is interesting because if you look in the liturgy, 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 liturgy. <laughs> John, you'll have to edit that out. No, I'm kidding. Sure. Um, if you look in the liturgy... If you look in the liturgy of... Now, now you're going to stumble on that word forever. I know, no, I can't, I can't, it's never going to be Lit, the same. Liturgy. <laughs> liturgy. It's <laughs> resplendent. <laughs> resplendent liturgy. <laughs> okay, if you, if you look in the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah, we say Hayom Harat Olam. Do you remember that song? Hayom Harat Olam. Hayom Yamibamishpat. Today is the birthday of the world. No, it's not. Today's the last day of creation. <laughs> the birthday of the world was five days prior on Sunday when God first created the world. God said, Let there be light. Why are we saying on Rosh Hashanah, Hayom Harat Olam? Today's the birthday of the world. It's not the birthday of the world. Who is it the birthday of? Man. That's how important you are, by the way. That's how important one human being is. That's the birthday of the world. The birthday of existence is the day you were born. Because the day you were born is the day that you have the ability to bring God to this world. John, you're going to have to share this at the Fabrengan tonight. The birthday Fabrengan. Um, <laughs> the, the, um, this is what it's all about. The sixth day of creation it's essentially when God became relevant as a king. When our responsibility for revealing God as a king had finally uh, materialized. Now, I'll share something with you that's that's fascinating, that's beautiful. I, I, I always reflect on this because it's incredible. 
And if you know somebody that needs to hear this, if you're here with us live right now on Zoom, or if you're listening to the recording afterwards and you know somebody that needs to hear this, you got to share this with them. It's so important. Adam and Eve were created Friday, three hours before Shabbat. And three hours before Shabbat, before Shabbos, they're commanded, don't eat from the tree of knowledge. Eat from whatever you want, but don't eat from there. Hold off for three hours. They couldn't hold off from the piece of fruit for three hours. All they had to do was wait till Shabbos. Then they could have their Shabbos treat. <laughs> Just wait till candle lighting. Make Kiddush. You'll have your fruit. And until then, eat different fruit. Just not that fruit. They couldn't hold off. They couldn't hold back. And the ramifications of their mistake was was quite was quite um what's the word? Global. Dramatic. Dramatic. Not just dramatic, um macrocosmic. I don't know, that's not the word. It it, it there, there was an incredible global impact. They screwed up the world, man. <laughs> they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They they or as the Midrash says, they literally drove out God's presence from this world because God's presence was very palpable in this world and very, very um, as kind of like what it's going to be like in the Messianic era, as we're describing. And because they decided to indulge, they drove that out. They messed up. But here's what here's the fascinating part. After every single day of creation, God said, let there be light. There was light. And after every other day of creation, God said, and it was good. What does God say after the creation of Adam and Eve? And it was very good. Which is wild. They messed up catastrophically. And not only for themselves, but for generations to come, they really made a big mistake. They indulged. They listened to their inclination when they shouldn't have. And that brought, I mean, look, just 10 generations later, there was the flood of Noah. That wasn't the original trajectory. And God had to reset. It was that bad. Maybe, God, maybe maybe God wrote that it was very good before they'd eaten. Before, right? <laughs> it wasn't that much time. <laughs> it was it was very good. But one of the explanations is you can't succeed in your mission as a Jew to bring God into this world unless you can fail. Potentially. I'm not saying you should fail, but unless you can potentially fail, you can't succeed. Your ability to succeed is only because you can fail. You can't pass a test that you can't fail. Your ability to succeed in this world is only because you can fail. So the fact that they failed, beautiful. Do teshuva. Turn around, get back on track, and come back even stronger. This is very good. This is very good. The day that man is born... There's this potential for incredible mess up, incredible catastrophic, catastrophic mistakes. And God says, this is very good because we now have the ability to choose God as our king. The theme of Friday, the theme of being born. The theme of the Messianic era. The theme of everything we've been waiting for. Okay, that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> 